And we, we're reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Look, it's on the screen for your reading. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This was said after three and a half years of earthly ministry. Jesus started his earthly ministry at the age of 30. And for three and a half years, he built a team with 12 men and a group of women and changed history as you and I know it uh, when he was murdered, falsely accused of a crime he did not commit, and put to death, sentenced, executed by way of Roman crucifixion. And the Bible teaches and tells us that after three days and three nights, just as Jonah was in the belly of the well, he rose from the ground, from the grave, alive on Easter Sunday morning. And shortly thereafter, he gives them the verses that I just read to you, known as the Great Commission, where he tells them to go into all the world and teach all nations. I I want you to see something out of that that I believe is going to launch us into the idea we're trying to create today. After commissioning this church, he commissions them with something to do. God did not call his people to sit idle and wait for his return. You got to work while you wait. And he said to them, all power is given unto me. The Holy Spirit is going to infuse you with that power, and then I want you to go. And that's where we ended up in the book of Acts. That's how we got into chapter 2, where we learned they were gathered together in Jerusalem in chapter 1, into chapter 2, waiting on the promise of the Father. All right, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. He's going to give us that kind of power so we can go and do and be the church that he called us to be. So they're up there waiting, 120 of them, men and women, in this tiny little upper room in Jerusalem. And then the Bible tells us on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came and filled that room, and they were all infused and indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, filled with his power, and God did miraculous wonders and signs at the very hands and mouths of the apostles, and the Bible teaches us that they gathered there. And then the rest of Acts chapter 2 tells us about the days and weeks and months that fell out of that upper room experience and how they grew. So we see that they gathered, and then we saw that they grew. Now we see that there is one more thing the church did that pointed people to a new life in Christ. Acts chapter 3, because that's where we left off. We went all the way through Acts 2 in two weeks. Look at Acts 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which was called Beautiful, to ask alms, He's begging for money of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. 
And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Go back to verse number 3. He's sitting there by the gate as he's been brought and laid every single day. Right before you go in to the church house, this joker's sitting out there with a cup and a cardboard sign. And verse 3 says, who seeing Peter and John, underline this, about to go. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do in Matthew 28? What did he tell them to do? What did he tell them to do? Green means he said, go. And here we see right into chapter 3, they've gathered, they've grown, and it says they're going, but where are they going? They're going into the temple. They're what you and I would say, going to church. They're going to church. And if, I, if I'm looking at my Bible right, I don't think Jesus called them to go to church. Are y'all ready? He never called them to go to church. My Bible says he called them to go be the church. So you've got them going into the temple. And that, that reveals the mindset that is very prominent right now in Christianity, this mindset, let's go to church. There's no such thing as let's go to church because you are the church. You go to church. This mentality in the South that has bred itself in Western civilization of Christianity is you just go and you sit into a room, whether it has a steeple or it's in a shopping center or it's a brick building or it's a metal building. You go and you sit and you listen to these people sing and then you sit down and this guy or this girl's going to get up and they're going to talk to you out of this ancient history book and then you're going to go to Cracker Barrel and have some fried chicken. That is going to church. And Jesus never called you and me to go to church. He called us to go and be the church. And if you look and pay attention, in verse 3, they were going to church, but by verse 6, Simon Peter figured it out, and he started being the church. Verse 6 says, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he called his disciples to be the church in his place when he left this planet. In fact, when you be the church, you'll do what Peter did. You'll be the church with resources. He said, I tell you what, I ain't got silver and gold. But what I do have in my resources, I can give it to you. 
What I do know, I can share it with you. And can I take a commercial break and testify at 9 a.m. and say, if Jesus is all that you have, then he will be all that they will ever need because he's got deeper pockets than Trump. May I say he's got a bigger map than the world. He's got more knowledge than all of history and philosophy. Does anybody know the resource I'm talking about in Jesus? He is our all in all and he has everything we need. He can be the church with resources, be the church with reach. It says he reached down and took him by the right hand. The church has gotten so good at reaching in, we forgot how to reach out. And may I remind you, Simon Peter knew what it was like to be down for the count, and somebody reached down and picked him up. So he said, let me show you what I do know how to do. And I'm in the business of picking people up because I remember when I was down and I needed to pick me up. Is there anybody in this room that remembers when you were down and you needed somebody to be the church. You needed somebody to show you grace, show you mercy. I wish I had a 9 a.m. witness in this place. I remember when somebody helped me out when I couldn't help myself out. Be the church. Be the church with your resources. Be the church with reach. Be the church with restoration. The Bible says the guy's ankle bones and feet received strength and he stood back up. And our church ought to be a church that puts people back in right standing, helps them get back on their feet mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Be the church. That's what he called them to do. You see what God was doing? They, 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 they were graduating through the early book of Acts with this idea, well, well, hey, let's go to church. Here they are heading to the temple for a worship service. And Jesus is teaching them how to be disciples that go, not to church, but go be the church. He was turning his disciples into go people. And if we want to be that church, we have to go. We gather we grow, but if you want to be that church, we must go. Everybody say go. We go. We're a go church. I'm glad to be a part of a go church. That makes me a goer. That makes you a goer. That makes us goers. And so some, someone may ask, what's a goer look like, Pastor D? I'm glad... I'm glad you asked. I want to show you two characteristics about a goer that I think would highlight who we are as that church. Goers have sight. Goers have sight. They have, they have sight. The Bible says in verse 3 that the lame man saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and ask an alms. And Peter, watch this, fastening his eyes upon him. Fastening his eyes. He, he, he saw this boy and he fastened his eyes on him where he could not look away. He saw him with such aggression and saw him with such intentionality and saw him with such intensity that he was captured by what he saw and he captured what he saw. Goers have sight, a sight that sees the need. Go goers can see the need. They see what the need is. They see that the need is broken. And lame, broken people aren't able to make it to Jesus, so you got to get Jesus to the lame, broken people. 
And we live in a society, in a community that is broken religiously, that is broken traditionally. And my God, they are broken spiritually, and we've got to see that for what it is. It's broken. But if you see that need for what it is, you'll see that it's begging. Whether or not they know it, this community is looking. They are searching. They are reaching. They are grabbing. They are begging. They want something real. They may say they need some money, but they need something deeper than that. They may say they just want to find a good church for their kids, but they need something deeper than that. God put and planted us right in the middle of an intersection at a hot spot in an area that's about to boom and blow up and it's full of people that are broken and whether or not they know it, they're begging. Some of them are poor, some of them are rich, some of them are white, some of them are black, some of them are young, some of them are old, some of them are churchy, some of them are not churchy. Some of them are from around here and some of them have never been around here. God put us in a place of people where we must see the need for what it is. Go or see where the need is. I like this now. You ready? Go or see where the need is. It says this man was located outside of the temple gate. He, God made sure to have this joker put outside of their box. He put this need outside of their place. Not, not inside the temple gate, outside the temple gate. I, I, as a message to his church, if you want to find the need, you need to go outside of the gate. Because what you are meant to reach is not inside, it's outside. And, and, and goers have a sight that sees that the need is outside of the gate. They, 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 they have an ability to see something that everybody else doesn't see because they know where to look for it. And my question to you and I is this, are we blind to the need and where it is? What do you see with your eyes when you see the need? What do you see when you see this guy down here at the corner of Walmart holding a sign that says he needs food? You see a bother, you see a burden. You see opposition or you see an opportunity? What do we see when we drive by the Boys and Girls Club in commerce? What do we see when we drive by a neighborhood that don't look like ours? What do we see when we're standing in Walmart and we see somebody that ain't dressed like us, can't dress like us, won't dress like us? What do we see when we look across the gas pump and across the parking lot and we see somebody with a pickup truck that looks like it's on life support? What do we see when we see somebody standing out here in the parking lot waiting for the clinic to open so they can get the pills? What do we see? Does that, old, does that old prideful flesh rise up and say, God, I'm glad I'm in better shape than they are. They need to get it together. Are we goers to see what the need is, see where the need is? There's a reason they'll be in the parking lot there's a reason they'll be on the street. There's a reason they'll be down there and not in here because in their mind, in their mind, they're not welcome here. They're not wanted here because they already tried one of these places and they got looked at funny. 
They had, people, they had people pay them special attention because they didn't dress the part. They didn't walk the part. They never could contribute. They were a liability and not an asset. Am I preaching yet in this room? But goers have sight. Goers see beyond the facade of what everybody else says and everybody else sees because goers see the need for where it is and they see the need for what it is. But it will never be enough to see the need. Now, you have sight. I have sight. If we're goers as a church, we have sight to see that need. But seeing a need is never enough. It's kind of funny that the church, they're kind of like us. They needed a little bit of help. Like, these guys spent three and a half years doing this thing with him, thinking he's going to set up a kingdom. Well, he's going to set up a kingdom, but he ain't even set it up yet, and that was 2,000 years ago. They're thinking he's going to set up a thousand-year reign, and we're going to reign with him. It's going to happen any day now. And then he dies and rises again. And even still before he goes back, they're still asking about that, that, that hey, how about that, uh, hey, king, how about that kingdom? He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not for you to worry about that because the day of the Lord can be a thousand years to man. Don't worry about your timetable. I got mine figured out. Go be the church. So they go do what he says. They go gather in the upper room. They're up there in the upper room, and that's where the Spirit of God infuses them with power from on high. And what's funny is they're a lot like us. They get all these resources at their fingertips, all this power, all, all, I mean, this major power source. And then they go right into the temple. They just, they got that gather thing down. You know what I mean? Sunday morning, I'm there. And they, listen, they were committed. They did it every day. They were doing this thing every single day. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't have a coffee bar, Right. They, they just, they did it every single day. They probably didn't have child care. It was, it was, you know, you know, bounce that kid on your knee, burp it on your shoulder. Every day, gather, gather, gather. And God began to grow them internally and externally and kept adding to it and adding to it, adding to it. They didn't quite get this go thing figured out. And so Acts 3, 4, 5, 6, it's like God's putting them on the launching pad, getting them ready to go. And one of, one of, one of the um, uh, deacons in the church, his name was Stephen. Stephen stands up full of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's testifying and preaching. And the Bible says that he was stoned, murdered, one of the first, the first martyr of the New Testament church. And through this persecution, this, 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 this great wave of uh, persecution and agitation begins against the church. And there's this fellow by the name of Saul, later saved in Acts 9, called Paul. Y'all stay with me. I'm going somewhere. And Saul is a murderer, a persecutor of the church. And the Bible says in Acts 8, if you go to Acts 8, everything was set up for Acts 8. And the Bible says in verse number 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. Whose deaths? Whose death? Stephen. We just talked about Stephen in Acts 7. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, I hope that just jumped out and slapped every Bible scholar in the face. If you've been paying any attention the last two weeks, I hope that, I hope that got you. What did he tell them in Acts chapter 1? Go wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. That's hometown. That's headquarters, HQ. And Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. 
They don't get it. They're still in Jerusalem having church. And through the murder of Stephen, through this great persecution, through this guy named Saul, it says they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Sometimes the only way for God to get you to go is to (laughs) kick you to go. Sometimes the only way for God to get that bird out the nest is to make the nest a little uncomfortable. They were scattered except the apostles. Boy, they're stubborn. We know that. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. Goers don't just have sight. Goers are sent. Goers are sent. Jesus told them in Matthew 28, go. I'm I'm leaving. You should do the same. I'm going. I need you to go, go, go. They're gathering together. They keep coming in the temple, and God's like, they don't get it. Go. Go, the need's outside. I put that joker outside of the gate so you would go. You keep going to church thinking you'll be in the church, and going to church is not the same thing as being the church. You need, if you want to be the church, you got to go. Not go to church, go to the world. Be the church, go to the world. Jesus told his disciples in John 20, 21, he said this, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And so... We see this church being sent. They're being sent. And in Acts 8, there's this evangelist named Philip. And he's one of the ones that is scattered abroad. And he goes everywhere preaching. And he ends up in Samaria. This guy goes to Samaria and turns it upside down. Samaria was full of, guess what? Samaritans. All right? Half Jew, half Gentile. Known and known as a a mixed breed that Jews have nothing to do with. So here Philip, this Jewish preacher, goes to Samaria, starts winning these people to Jesus, starts giving these people the good news of the resurrection of Christ, and people are saved. The whole town is in revival. I mean, it's happening. Y'all stay with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere. It's on in Samaria. Bigger and better than any Billy Graham crusade, anything you and I have ever seen, it's just on. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go. Wait a second, man. You just plugged me into a hot spot, and now you're telling me to leave? Right when it's getting good, you want me to leave? You want me to go? He told him to go. Why did he tell him to go? I'm sending you somewhere. I'm sending you somewhere so that you will invest. Watch this. Watch this. He told him, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. If you look at a map, having been there, this is a little bit more relatable now. He was in Jerusalem. And he went all the way up to Samaria. And then God says, all right, now I want you to leave Samaria and go down to the Gaza Strip, which is a desert place. And everybody knows there ain't nothing down there in the desert. 
And so you're not only telling me to take this journey, you're telling me to take this journey away from a place where it's happening to a place where there's nothing. And not to mention it's 50 miles. And, I mean, look, let me tell you, he didn't pull out his phone, hit his Lyft app, and pick up a Lyft or an Uber. 50 miles. And he had to take this more than likely on foot, majority of it. The time he's putting in. The joker's got to eat. Somebody's got to pay for the food. Along the way, you're stopping at a lodge or an inn. You're having to find shelter. He's having to invest himself in this go. He's having to invest himself in being sent. But then if you look, the Bible says that he went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. This guy was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And if you continue in the scripture, he was in chapter 53 of the Old. See, in that day and age right there, they had the Old Testament. He was reading the book of Isaiah. They didn't, you're like, well, why wouldn't he read Ephesians? Because Ephesians wasn't written. Because Paul was still Saul. You know, you, you got to you get your chronological stuff. You know, if the King James Bible was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for me. Praise God. All right. He's reading Isaiah. He's reading the Old Testament. So this guy, who's a, uh, he's an official of the queen, coming from Ethiopia. He's in a chariot. He's coming back from Jerusalem. They, everybody gathered there for worship. He's coming back. He's got a copy of the Old Testament. And he's reading Isaiah. Now, this guy's, this guy's kind of prestigious working for the queen, so he's probably actually not reading it himself. He's got a reader, someone who reads out loud as was custom. As he's traveling, somebody's reading it out loud to him, which is why Philip heard this being read. And the Bible says in verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, look, go. But what did he, he, he say? Go near. Go involve yourself and join this guy's chariot. So, so in, in, in the context, you've got this guy riding in a chariot, listening to Isaiah. And Philip comes running up next to him. Hey, man, what you reading? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm reading. I'm not real sure. Do you have a clue? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Can, can I help you understand it? He says, man, come on, get up here. So Philip jumps up in the chariot with this guy. They're in the middle of the desert. Ain't nobody out here. He went from revival to nothing. He's riding in the chariot with this guy, and the guy's reading Isaiah 53. And it's the part of Isaiah 53 where it talks about Jesus being led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he was dumb in that he opened not his mouth. All of it was a prophecy foreshadowing what would happen with Christ during his trial and crucifixion. And the eunuch says in verse 34, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Now, is the guy talking about himself? Is Isaiah talking about himself or some other Man, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him. Didn't even need a New Testament. Didn't even have to Google it. He right there, boom. He just dropped it and preached Jesus to this guy. 
And the Bible says they went, they went on their way, came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, well, here's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Did you see this? God sent him to go invest to go involve and eventually introduce this guy to Jesus. The whole reason for being sent is so someone is introduced to Jesus. If you give them a food kit, it's a stepping stone to get them to Jesus. If you work with them and they become your friend, it's a stepping stone to get them to Jesus. If you take them down to Walmart and you fill their buggy up with groceries, and you put gas in their car, it's a stepping stone to get them to Jesus. If you pray with them, if you bless them, if you're kind to them, it's all a stepping stone to get them to Jesus. Philip was not bothered to go. He was burdened to go. He wasn't guilted to go. He was glad to go. He wasn't made to go. He was meant to go. I remember when it hit me that I was to go. I had been sent. It was only I had to. I, I had to go. So I ran a van route and picked kids up and brought them to church. And, and God said, now go to Bible college. So I, I went. I went to Bible college. And he said, now go preach in the jail. So I preached in the jails, preached in the nursing homes. I preached in the nursing homes. Go preach in the homeless mission. I preached in the homeless mission. Go preach on the street. Yeah, I preached on the street. Go preach when nobody's watching. I preach when nobody's watching. Go down the road. Preach to the bugs on the windshield till they all get saved. Just keep on preaching. Go, go. I'm sent, so I went. God said, go to Athens, start a church. I started a church in Athens. God said, come to Commerce, start a church. I started a church in Commerce. Go wherever you're sent. So I just went. I just had, okay, I'm, I have to go. I see the need, but it's not enough to see the need. I'm sent to go meet the need. And the need's outside. And sometimes the best way to introduce somebody to Jesus is just invite them to church. I didn't realize how simple that was. I started off a bona fide, Bible-thumping, sin-hating, devil-chasing, hell-fearing, heaven-loving Christian walking around knocking on doors. Nope. I see, the church I got saved at, the old-fashioned church I got saved at, we did Saturday morning soul winning. Oh, you haven't lived until you do Saturday morning soul winning. I had no idea what a JW was. I dressed in a white shirt with a black tie because that's the way the preacher did it, and that's the way his posse did it. That's the way all the men of the choir did it. That's the way all the soul winner. I had all I needed was a bike and them nickel and dime magazines. I had my Bible, and I jumped in Matt Gerard's little Dodge Neon, and we went around from neighborhood to neighborhood, knocking on doors. People opened the door. Hi, how you doing? I'm Derek Hamlin. This is Brother Matt Gerard. We're from Elder Road Baptist Church. Man, let me ask you a question. If you dropped dead right now, would you go to hell? I bet you would. That's why God sent me over here. <laughs> I never heard, win them to yourself, then win them to Jesus. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever said, hey, invite them to your church. I'm not saying you can't win souls like that. The Bible says he that winneth souls is wise, but there's more than one way to win a soul. And I remember 
getting into Bible college and really leveraging that kind of thing. There were times when I'd be in a grocery store somewhere and God would say, go tell him. And I look over there and it'd be somebody look like John, you know, go, go tell him. And I'm like, Lord, surely. Come again. You got, I've only got one bar. I'm not sure I heard you right there. Say it again. Go tell him about me. You know, so I'd, I'd, I'd go with And I'd had times in grocery stores where grown men right there in an aisle at the produce section just break down and get saved. I'd be driving down the neighborhood and pass some kids playing basketball, and God said, turn around and go tell them. I'd go tell them. I had times where they'd laugh. I had times where they'd cuss me out. I had times where they'd threaten to fight me, and I was barely saved. I'm like, bless God, let me take off my, my, my white shirt and my tie first. But I had this mentality, if I've been sent, I must go. So I went. Everywhere I was sent. I came to realize the go encompasses everywhere that you go. You're never not going. Because if you are the church, everywhere you go, you have been sent. So you're never off the job. You're never off the clock. Everywhere you go, you've been sent because he sends us into the world. I remember working for the credit union in Bible college. I got a job as a basic teller. And then I got promoted to the busiest drive through teller in all of North Augusta. We had, it was nonstop on Fridays. We would do 650 transactions apiece, just nonstop, bumper to bumper, all Friday long. And I got promoted to member service. In the banking world, it's customer service. In the credit union, it's member service. And I had a little side office over there. And this was while I was in college, uh, uh, fulfilling my, 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 my duty in Bible college and getting prepared to start a church. And I took advantage of that office space that one-on-one opportunity to talk to people and to listen to people because all kind of stuff is going to come and sit at that desk. And I'll I'll never forget, one one day I had this guy waiting out in the lobby and I saw him walk in and I remember thinking to myself, I hope I get that guy. I hope Don's busy. I hope Denise is busy. I want that joker right there. He come in and look, this guy was country when country wasn't cool. Right? He come in. He looked like he was going to, to run a video for a brawny paper towel ad. Man, this guy had that flannel shirt on. He had jeans so tight. He had a pair of, rain- I swear, his girlfriend and mama had to hold his pants while he jumped off the roof covered in oil to get in them things. Tight, big old cowboy boots. I, I mean, I didn't, listen, I didn't know there was a such thing at Banks, as, as Banks County at the time, but now I can make a connection. If, that, if, if, you, if you could look up Banks County redneck in a dictionary, it'd have a picture of this guy. I called him. I ended up getting him. I called him to my desk. His name was Rally Cogburn. I hope nobody in here knows him, and if you do, you know how redneck this joker is. <laughs> right, he, he, had that, he had that permanent hat hair. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, that permanent, I wear a hat, I was born with it, it's always on my head. 
probably had a bald spot as big as the moon, but he had that hat tied on his head. Had a had a dip in the whole time I was talking to him. A big old dip. Like he took a softball and stuck it down in his gums. And I got to help. His account was a mess. We got to sit there talking. And I'm just, I'm just, this guy has no idea I'm a preacher. I don't want him to know I'm a preacher. The longer I can keep you in the dark about me being a preacher, the better chance I have of introducing you to Jesus. I have learned that. And we're sitting here talking and conversing. He just needs an ear. He needs somebody to talk to. He opens up, man. He just spills his being. He's got a mess of a life going on. And I'm just listening to him. I'm not trying to doctor feel it. I'm not trying to hand him out some advice or give him. I'm just listening to him. And I leaned up about halfway through. I leaned up and said, what are you doing tonight? He said, uh, I mean, I ain't got no plan. I said, I said, you ever been to church? He said, oh, yeah, I don't go to church. I, I don't like church. I said, me neither. He said, okay. I said, you want to go to church? He said, I thought you didn't like church. I said, I don't like church. I want you to come to my church. You go to church? I do go to church. You ever heard of this church over here? It's called Victory, right up on the hill. Is it the big one? Yes, yeah, the big one. I don't like big churches. Me neither. What? <laughs> At this point, his head's about to explode. I said, but this ain't like any other big church you've ever been to. Forget about the size. I said, I, I, look, tonight we got to bring a friend. Tonight is friend night. I was lying. It wasn't friend night, but I was lying to get him in touch with Jesus. I said, it's friend night. I, got, I can't walk in there again on a friend night by myself. I got to have you go with me. I'm not facing that embarrassment. I need you to be my friend for the evening. Let's go to church, man. I guarantee you something will happen there, man. It'll help you. You'll feel a whole lot better about some of this junk. Uh, what time does it start? 7 o'clock. I don't get off work till 6.30. That's all right. Just come. Dress. I don't care. What, what do you do for a living? Septic tank. Just come on, man. Just come on. Just come on. Come on. We'll sit in the back. I lied again. I sat on the front, but I wasn't going to tell him that either. Boy, he pulled up. And he had the truck to match him. Boy, I'm telling you, mud-bogging tires, you know. It was, one, it was one of them, like, 88 Toyota Tacomas, the four-cylinders that get, like, 22 miles to the gallon. But his tires were so dadgum big, he probably got 10 miles to the gallon. We, I met him in the parking lot, and he said, man, I, just don't, I don't know about this, man. And I said, I promise you it's going to be fine. He said, We'll sit in the back. I lied again. We went in. I said, man, look, the back is all full. We're going to have to sit on the front. He said, but I see. I said, come on, Rally. We got to go. I put him right on the front row of Victory Baptist Church. And they're a whole lot like us. They're a little bit different now, but they're a whole lot like us, and they let God just do whatever. They let God show up. And I'm talking, it was on from the beginning. I'm thinking, this is going to be one of them services where it gets good. And then it started getting so good, I'm like, oh, we're going to scare the devil out of this joke. <laughs> he's going to get scared. And, man, he had his hands in his pockets the whole time. He's standing there during the first few songs looking around, people excited and clapping and saying amen and smiling. We sat down. Dr. Larry Brown got up there and started preaching. And, man, he just peeled it back. He went after it, preaching. And, look, I, I was trying to behave myself because I'm like, I brought this guy. 
I want to be able to have a conversation with this guy after it's over with, but I'm liking this a lot. I'm wanting to get into it, you know, so I'm having this kind of, I'm, I'm kind of having a Presbyterian my way through the service, you know, that's good. It's good. It's real good. Good. It's a golf clap right there. I like that. That's good. Everybody else is, ah, praise God. Woo! Preacher's preaching the house down. Riley's sitting there like this. He's got a bowling ball size dip in it this time. Cigar in over here and a little glass of brandy by the time it's over with. <laughs> that service got wrapped up. And they do what they do what we do at the end of the service. If you're here and you don't know you're saved, today is the day where Jesus wants to save you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Everybody's got their head bowed. Everybody's got their eye closed. Raleigh's sitting there looking at the floor, closes his eyes. I'm looking at Raleigh. Because I want to see. I, I, I mean, I brought him. I have permission to look, you know, without him knowing. It can't be like this, you know. You, 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 got, you got to be kind of. And, I'm, and so I'm, I'm praying for this joker. He's done told me all these things going on in his world. He's broken. He's begging. He's the very reason I came to Bible college. I didn't go to Bible college to learn how to preach. I came to Bible college to introduce people like him to Jesus. That's why I'm here. That's why I was sent, so I went. I'm sitting here praying for this guy. And I watch, I watch his hand trembling during that invitation. And I love being on the front row because there ain't no pew to grab in front of you. He's sitting there shaking, man. Pastor, Pastor Brown gives that invitation. If you don't know, if you've ever been saved, and buddy, I watched that hand start to go up like this. Little meek, barely hand raised. Dr. Brown said, hold that hand up. <laughs> don't you be scared. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're halfway there. We're halfway there. We're halfway there. Pastor Brown led him through the sinner's prayer. And you know, when people pray, and they're getting saved a lot of times, people pray, you know, in their heart. They, just, they whisper it. Pastor Brown never disclosed none of that. He just said, I want you to pray right there where you are. Pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I am a sinner. Dear God, I am a sinner. <laughs> right there out loud, I'm looking at him like, oh, my God, this is about to get in. He prayed the whole prayer out loud. Ain't nobody else in the whole building. A thousand people sitting on that Thursday night service. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. God, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. He got tears running down his face. I hugged him. He looked at me like, what the heck are you doing? Went out in that parking lot. He said, man, I had no idea this kind of stuff existed. I didn't know this kind of stuff happened in church like this. I've never, I've never heard anything like this. I said, man, Jesus made sure you came to my desk today. God wanted you to hear this. I was sent to that credit union six months ago to sit at that desk and you were sent in that door with the mess you had going on to sit at the... It's not an accident that me and you cross paths in this desert. It's not an accident that I crawled into your chariot. It's not an accident that I had answers to your questions. It's not an accident that I was sent to you. How many... And this is a fitting illustration because... 
versus Banks County? How many rally Cogburns have saturated this whole community that we were sent to, that we were meant to cross paths with, that we were meant to climb in their chariot? We're meant and we're sent to take food and put it in their fridge. We're meant and we're sent to give them a personal invite to join us in a 9 o'clock worship gathering. We're meant and we're sent to be the tangible, touchable evidence that Jesus is alive, that Jesus loves them, and that Jesus cares about them. We were meant and we were sent. Isaiah said, I heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Here am I. Send me. We gather. We do that pretty well. We grow. Starting to see that more than ever. My question to you is this. If we really believe we're here for people to experience new life in Christ, can we go? Can we go on a Sunday? What would you do if you showed up one Sunday and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a few songs, we're going to give, and then we're going to go. What would you do? What if, what if the sermon was you going? What if we went and lived the sermon right then? What if we went and did our go right then on a Sunday? What if we did it on a Saturday? We're doing it in August. What if I told you everywhere you go is where you've been sent? You're going to work tomorrow. You were sent there. You're going home. You were sent there. You're going to drive past how many houses on the way to yours? You were sent. Who are you going to see when you go eat? At Cracker Barrel in a little bit. You were sent. Everywhere you go, you've been sent. We don't need to be a church that goes to church. We need to be a church that goes and is the church. Yeah. 